Welcome, everyone. This is uh, June 19th, year 2008, and it's the Ontolog Invited Speaker uh, Session again. Uh, we have with us today Dr. Mark Greaves from uh, Falcon Incorporated. Uh, Dr. Greaves is currently the Director of Knowledge Systems at Falcon, and Falcon uh as a lot of people already know, is an investment vehicle for Paul Allen, the co-founder of Microsoft. Uh, at Falcon, uh, Dr. Greaves is sponsoring advanced research in large knowledge bases and advanced web technologies, including the project Halo, which he is going to talk about today. Uh, formerly, Mark was program manager at Doppers in Information Exploitation Office for Demo, Ultralock, and Advanced Logistics Projects. At DAPA, he has sponsored research on logistics and supply chain control technologies, uh, formal ontology specifications, semantic web technology, and the application of software agent technology to problems of distributed control of complex systems of systems. Prior to DARPA, he led advanced programs in software agent technology at the Mathematics and Computer Technology Group of Boeing's Phantom Work uh, Division. His main research interests are in mathematical logic, semantic web, and software agent technology, about which he has published two books and several papers. Uh, Mark hosts a PhD from Stanford University. So without further ado, uh, Dr. Greaves, all yours. Uh, thank you, Peter. Uh, is this uh, an appropriate level of volume of my voice? Yes, sounds great. Good. Go ahead. Okay. So, uh, so it's, it's uh, really gratifying to, uh, to be able to address this group. Um, and, and it's uh, really neat to see a lot of my old colleagues uh, from DARPA, DARPA here. So uh, hello to, to everybody. I feel like I know uh, at least half of the of the folks that are uh, that are listening on this call. Um, let me uh, let me say a couple of things uh, before we dive into the into the um, uh, the meat of the talk. Uh, so first, I'll, I'll I'll say a little bit about my current employer, uh, which is. Uh, a uh, small company called Vulcan, um, and because uh, it, it's kind of widely misunderstood, and um, I think maybe the best way to put it is that when you leave DARPA, uh, well, first of all, I think DARPA is the best job in the entire U.S. government. It's a it's a wonderful job. You get you know just tremendous uh, exposure, and you really get a huge chance to change the world. And so it's usually believed that uh, that you'll never get as 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 good a job again. Um, and DARPA, of course, is a four-year tour for a program manager. You know the time you're, you arrive, uh, the time that you're going to leave. Um, and actually, in fact, it's printed on your badge the time you're going to leave. So everybody knows it, too. Um, and, uh, uh, and so when it came time for me to leave, I started looking around, and I found that in the United States, there's actually one, or, one other organization, which is like DARPA, and it's this company, Vulcan. Uh, we describe Vulcan as uh, the asset management uh, uh, company for Paul Allen. Uh, Paul Allen is, uh, was Bill Gates' uh, co-founder of Microsoft um, and is uh, one of the world's wealthiest individuals. Um, 
one of the things that he has is what amounts to a private DARPA at Vulcan. Uh, we have program managers. We have uh, programs which we fund. We use the pretty much the same uh, techniques as DARPA, which is uh, that we are quite small and lightweight at Vulcan, and we um, uh, uh, fund research and, and product development externally. Uh, that is, we send contracts out. Uh, we uh, uh, work with uh, some of the leading research organizations in the United States and actually around the world. And um, uh, and what we try to do and what our, our mission is uh, from Mr. Allen is to make an impact in the areas in which he cares. Um, we can we operate at an enormous number of levels. So we we fund basic research. Um, so in the government terminology, that would be 6-1 research. Uh, we fund prototype development uh, up through 6-3 and 6-4. We have a venture capital arm, which I am also uh, affiliated with, uh, at least which I also work with, uh, where if we see technologies which are developing into productizable um, um, uh, 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 instantiations, that uh, we can then look at it from a startup funding perspective, you know, all the way up through making investments in much larger companies to benefit from uh, revolutions that we see happening. So it's a tremendously exciting place to work. Uh, we're located in, in downtown Seattle, Washington. And, uh, and so this is good maybe background uh, for the HALO project uh, because this will this explains a little bit about why we're involved and uh, the kind of uh, at least uh, 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 organizational structure uh, which we're going to pursue here. So uh, let me, uh, I'm not sure, Peter, what slide you're on, but let's go to slide two um, where uh, the outline of the talk. I'll talk a little bit about the vision, uh, which is, uh, you know, why, why we're in this, what we're trying to do, what um, um, uh, Mr. Allen wants to see out of this. Uh, then I'm going to go to um, uh, a description of the HALO program, which uh, is one instantiation of the vision. And I'll talk about uh, something that happened historically, uh, actually around 2004, called the HALO pilot. Um, <clears throat> and then I'll go to HALO Phase 2, which is uh, technically the, 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 the programmatic um, uh, phase which we're in today. Um, and I'll talk about sort of how Halo, Halo Phase 2 has changed, in particular in, in uh, leveraging the emerging semantic web. And I'll, I'll close with a few uh, remarks about the future. So slide three um, just shows us that we are uh, 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 going to talk about the Halo vision. Okay, so slide four. Um, so, so if you're an AI person, uh, or at least a KR&R person, which I think would include uh, semantic web, KR&R being knowledge representation and reasoning, uh, which would include a lot of the semantic web researchers today. Um, you want to see something, something which we, at least at Vulcan, call the Google property, which is that uh, you want your system to get better as it gets bigger. And if you think about uh, the Google PageRank algorithm, um, it, it has that property. So PageRank, you know, essentially, at least in its very early incarnations and primitive incarnations, judged the, the, essentially the relevance or worth of a page by how many in-links that page had, that is, by how many uh, 
uh, people pointed to that page and made their uh, references to that page explicit with hyperlinks. And so the interesting thing about that algorithm, of course, is that as it had more and more data, it got better and better. And if you think about current KR systems, I mean, it's really, it, it's, it's embarrassing, actually, uh, because they have just about the perfect antithesis of that system. And I've got this little notional graph on the side of uh, chart four where, you know, I, I really think that by almost any measure of scale, and there's a lot of them, you know, size of the knowledge base, number of rules, number of other knowledge bases, number of ontologies, number of reasoning engines and whatnot. Um, and if you if you look at one of those dimensions going up and you try and chart that against uh, the quality of the answers you get or the, or the speed of the answers you get, it just falls off the, off the, off the chart. And so, um, so, so this, this whole adventure started by thinking about um, scale, right? We've all we've known for a long time that small scale artificial intelligence, small scale KRNR, has been possible, um, but we don't know we haven't known how to get to big KRNR. And so, if you think about it, there's a laundry list of uh, of uh, properties of scalable KRNR systems, and, and you know you look at these things, and I've got them all listed out there on chart four, or at least I got a bunch of them, um, uh, and none of them are, are particularly surprising, and many of them are are uh, uh, you know still being worked on today in in, in various ways. Um, but I think the the sort of uh, the bumper sticker associated with that with that list is that scalable KRNR systems should look just like the web, except of course the reason why we have KRNR systems is to uh, do decision support or essentially question answering, right, for uh, for humans and machines. And so we got a couple – that was the web just sort of being a presentation layer. We've got a couple uh, – it's got to look like the web, but it's got to have great QA technology. Okay, so on chart five, let's think about um, what might happen if we could achieve that. So uh, uh, there's this book out there called The Final Encyclopedia, um, and this was a book that Mr. Allen read, uh, um, I think, uh, uh, early on, maybe as he was a teenager. Um, it's a, uh, it, you know, I, I, I've read the book too. It, it, it's, I, don't, I think it's one of these enormous books where you can essentially get the idea by reading the first 100 pages, the last 100 pages, and you get to skip all the 600 pages in the middle. But, um, but uh, you know, it's, it's in this long history of books about the science fiction vision of computing. That is big AI, big tremendous AI, great big computers that you interact with, usually with voice, um, but that you know the defining feature of them is that they're smart and that you ask them questions and that they give you answers or at least they talk about where the the uh, um, uh, where the answers might lie and sort of point you in the right direction. Um, you know, and and I think in you know there was this this excitement around AI in the in the um, I guess 70s and maybe up in, up through uh, some pieces of the 80s, where um, uh, where we thought that that was actually possible, and then we went through the what was called the AI winter, uh, where essentially all the first uh, uh, attempts at that hadn't hadn't really cut it, and um, um, and we uh, uh, and sort of we've come back out, and I think with the exception of uh, sort of some of the recent semantic web technology, have primarily been thinking small. In AI, so so the the uh, 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 the I think that the the field has been 
I don't know, kind of consumed with small ball, whereas the the work outside, and in particularly spurred by the web, has gotten larger and really provided us with a huge number of places where if we had this technology, we could make an impact right now. And so one of these, one of the places that that uh, that, that we see at Vulcan, of course, is in scientific knowledge. I mean, you know, everybody knows that we're getting, you know. Uh, more and more specialized, the amount of knowledge is getting greater and greater, and, and our ability to manage it is just uh, uh, getting less and less and less. And um, and also the, the sort of the problem with our current scalable technologies is uh, IRNR IRNR systems like uh, uh, keyword indexing systems uh, that you see on the web. They really aren't well suited uh, to to science knowledge management because they don't have any. Uh, knowledge or context about the subject matter. So I have an example here. You know, this this kind of question here: What are the reaction products if metallic copper is heated strongly with uh, concentrated sulfuric acid? So the answer is uh, uh, a copper ion, uh, sodium dioxide gas, and, and water. Um, this, by the way, is not a hard question. This is a question which uh, anyone who is in a high school AP chemistry class in the United States should be able to answer in the first month or month and a half. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of kids can answer this question, even though, you know, if you're sort of far away from chemistry, it looks pretty daunting. This is an easy question. The questions only get harder from there. And so uh, so we get to uh, to this this idea that a, a question should supply the answer. And so, so Mr. Allen started thinking about all this stuff, and he started thinking, well, what if we had a digital what he called a digital Aristotle. Uh, and if you sort of know your history, you know that Aristotle was, uh, you know, one of your uh, great powers of Western thought. He was the tutor of Alexander the Great, and he was kind of the last person uh, who could be thought of as uh, knowing it all, or at least knowing knowing uh, uh, most of what there was to know in the world, or at least in the Western world at that time. And so we'd say, well, okay, let's let's bring it out. We've now gone beyond a brain, but let's try and make a digital Aristotle. So on chart six, um, we can say, well, what do we want? I mean, how do we how do we operationalize that? We want technology that will enable a very large knowledge base, a VLKB, global, widely authored about human affairs and science, that can answer questions and proactively supply information that can use reasoning about rules and processes, and that can be customized in its content and action. So if you go to chart seven, you get the sort of the rest of that um, uh, thing. It's now how we operationalize what we want. So remember, we want to address the problem in scale in knowledge base. We want to have uh, um, high impact because uh, uh, Mr. Allen is all about impact, wanting to change the world. Um, and uh, so, and we believe that uh, 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 the digital Aristotle is, is something which, if we could show in in some way, was possible, that that would have enormous impact. Um, we all, we actually also think that if we could show show it, it would be uh, certainly commercializable in the sense that um, maybe Vulcan, maybe maybe somebody else, maybe lots of companies would be involved in this kind of technology. And so uh, Project Halo is a research program that addresses these goals. Okay, chart eight. So that, 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 that's, that's the context and the vision and, and why we're doing it. And, and uh, um, it, it really is a sort of a DARPA-like uh, kind of vision. 
Uh, chart 8, let's talk about the pilot, which was our first effort at doing this in Vulcan. So, uh, so the first thing you want to figure out is, well, and this is on chart 9 now, what is um, uh, the uh, state of the art in deep reasoning systems? That is, um, how, how far could we go, right? Um, so essentially, can deep reasoning systems, that is expert systems, support reasoning in scientific domains? Can they actually answer novel questions, right, questions that they weren't built to answer? And they can, can they produce justifications? Because, you know, it's, it's usually not enough to, to give the answer. Usually uh, people want to know why and, and, the, and the backing for it. And so, um, uh, so uh, Vulcan did it as a, as a bake-off. Uh, there were three teams selected uh, using best available technology. And so one team was led by uh, SRI International and had uh, 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 Boeing Phantom Works with it and uh, University of Texas at Austin. Uh, one team was uh, 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 Psychor at Austin. You know, of course, if you're going to talk about deep reasoning and question answering, Psychor is always a player. And one team was by this uh, kind of dark horse contender, uh, which was a, a company not, not incredibly well-known then and still, I think, not incredibly well-known, called Enterprise, uh, which is located in, in Karlsruhe, Germany. Um, we, uh, uh, we wanted, of course, to answer questions and produce justifications. Um, one of the things that we stipulated in order to make the contest easier was that there was going to be no natural language uh, in the pilot, that is, that uh, the questions could be posed to the system in the language of the system, some kind of formal logic. That's what that FL is on the chart. We weren't going to put an NLP system on the top. Okay. Uh, but you're still going to have some kind of question being posed to a system in English um, uh, answers. So we're going to have language generation on the end and, and justification at the end. So on chart 10, um, we've got, uh, uh, we're going to talk about the domain of the Halo pilot. And so, um, this, I think, was, was really actually, a, a, in some ways, a stroke of brilliance in the program, uh, was if you're going to find a set of questions, it's actually hard to find sets of questions and answers, large sets, uh, which are vetted by, uh, by experts in the field, which are of a similar level of difficulty, and which are doable. Um, but there was, but there is one uh, domain, or at least there is at least one domain where that's that's possible, um, and that's in the United States Advanced Placement Chemistry Syllabus. And so, for our uh, uh, anybody who's international on this call, the uh, uh, there is a uh, uh, what's called the Advanced Placement Curriculum in uh, U.S. high schools. These are for uh, these are public schools um, for people who are. Uh, uh, say 14 through 18 years old, uh, the advanced placement curriculum is a way which um, if you finish the advanced placement curriculum, then for many colleges they will grant you the credit, you know, so colleges being the level of schooling beyond high school, uh, they will grant you credit for the first year or at least the first semester of the course in that subject. And so um, uh, the high school AP chemistry curriculum is equivalent uh, or at least is felt to cover much of the knowledge that is necessary in uh, a first-year college course in chemistry. So they also, the, 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 the Advanced Placement Organization um, publishes what they call syllabi, which are listings of, you know, what, it, what are the topics that are going to be covered and approximately what weight is associated with each one of the topics. And, uh, and there's, you know, an enormous number of questions uh, from, pre, from prior exams uh, which you can train on and so forth. And there's an enormous number of teachers 
uh, who, are, who teach uh, AP curriculum who know exactly what's on the curriculum and who can, uh, who can grade test. There's a standardized grading methodology and so forth. So it went to chemistry. And we took the, the AP chemistry syllabus is very large. Uh, we took approximately 70 pages from it, uh, which uh, go for um, stoichiometry reactions and aqueous solutions and acid-base equilibria. This is actually some of the, they say, some of the beginning parts of chemistry. Um, uh, it's pretty small and self-contained. Um, it does have a lot of reasonably deep reasoning in it. Uh, there's a standardized grading methodology of uh, essentially one to five, uh, one being the low and five being the high. Um, Certainly pieces of chemistry, the, the way chemistry is itself uh, was attractive to us in that at least for a six-month process, it didn't require a lot of uh, what you might call common sense reasoning or common knowledge. Um, an example of this is in physics, uh, you know, you might have um, uh, questions about, uh, I don't know, aircraft landing on runways and how long the runway has to be. Well, you, then you have to have, to, in order to answer that question, you have to know things like, well, the length of the deceleration is, you know, the length of the runway and, and that aircraft typically land on runways, which means they touch runways, which mean, and then they're speeding down runways. And so there's a lot of, lot of common knowledge which you have to know. In chemistry, that's, at least in this part of chemistry, that's, uh, that's minimized. There's not a lot of free, to, free body diagrams or graphics involved, and there certainly are a lot of experts around. So you can see at the bottom of chart 10, there's an example, um, of the kind of, uh, uh, very elementary chemistry questions, um, and so the, this particular example has to do with, uh, with balancing a reaction, and you have to put in uh, 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 coefficients in front of the, uh, the individual uh, pieces of the reaction. And so, okay, so on chart 11, we, uh, th this tells you how the, how the system ran. Teams were given four months to formulate the knowledge in 70 pages of the, of the syllabus. Um, that is, uh, they were handed AP chemistry textbooks. They say, here's what you want to formulate the knowledge on. Go ahead. Uh, after four months, uh, the uh, systems were gathered into Vulcan and sequestered. They were run against 100 novel AP-style questions. Um, and uh, the, then their answers were graded by chemistry professors using the AP methodology. And we looked for several kinds of things. Uh, you know, were they able to answer, essentially coverage, were they able to answer these? Uh, what were the quality of their justifications? Uh, in some cases, and actually many cases, the questions, uh, the semantic expressiveness of the questions, which were, of course, originally in English, uh, could not be captured by the formal logic associated with the, with the system, uh, with the question answering system, so they were, essentially the system was, uh, was weaker than the, uh, uh, than the question, or there was parts of the question that couldn't be answered because they couldn't be expressed, and so we wanted to measure that, and uh, also um, the causes of failure. So on chart 12, you see uh, some charts of the results. Um, the best scoring system achieved about an AP3. And I'll note again, the system was, we were only talking about about 70 pages of the syllabus. Um, and uh, um, the uh, 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 team scored in different ways. Uh, there's a publication about it. Surprisingly, I think to everybody, um, Psych, which is a, you know one of the largest repositories of question answering knowledge in the nation, um, uh, didn't do so well. Uh, and uh, I think there's there's a lot of reasons why, and we sort of go into that in the article. Um, I've, I've spoken with Doug Lennett recently, and I think uh, 
many of those reasons, some of them still apply, many of them do not. Uh, so uh, uh, there's, uh, uh, there's actually some learning there as well. Okay, so that was the HALO pilot, and, and on chart 13, um, what we showed in the pilot was uh, something pretty neat. Actually, let's go to chart 14. So we saw something pretty neat. We saw um, actually better than expected results on a pretty tough evaluation, novel questions that got thrown at these systems. Fascinating thing. Most of the failures that, that were there were attributed to uh, contractors' lack of domain knowledge. That is, it wasn't necessarily that the systems were making mistakes. It was that when the knowledge was put into the system by our three contracting teams, that is, SRI, um, um, Enterprise, and Sitecore, that uh, they primarily use computer scientists to put the knowledge in. And computer scientists actually don't know a lot of chemistry. And so they learned the chemistry as they went, and they made a lot of, uh, a lot of mistakes in that way. It was also very expensive. Um, the, each team was given roughly $700,000 to formulate 70 pages of the syllabus. That says that, you know, just do the division. That says for a delivered system, we're talking about $10,000 per page. Mm. That, um, that's a lot of money, and, uh, and that's, that's too much money. So, uh, but given that, we, we sort of, Vulcan took the results and said, all right, what are we going to do with this? And we thought that the results were good enough to create a full-scale project Right, which we call Project Halo, from the pilot, um, with the goals that are listed there on chart 14. That is, we want to figure out whether we can build these systems with a, a rely, with a decreasing reliance on knowledge engineers. So that would address those two bullet points above, that the failure was attributed to modeling errors, and also that will address our expense issue. So we took those goals and we... Um, uh, decompose them into three sort of sub-goals, right? Can, uh, can the SMEs, that is the subject matter experts, not the knowledge engineers, not these, you know, cranky, highly paid computer scientists who don't even agree with each other most of the time on, on ontologies and so forth, um, can, can, can subject matter experts, that is professional chemists and, in, in our case, biologists and physicists, um, build the knowledge bases for these systems are they, will they be capable of actually posing questions and complex problems to the systems? And can the systems which they built um, address the failure scale building cost issues that we saw in the pilot? So what did we decide to do? Well, we said, all right, let's um, expand the subjects. Chemistry, you know, if you know your history of AI, chemistry was actually one of the very earliest um, domains which was used in expert systems in, in AI. Uh, there was a famous old system at, I believe, Stanford called Dendril, which was chemical structure identification. And so we decided, and we actually took a lot of grief for um, uh, uh, choosing chemistry. Sort of people felt like it, in some ways it wasn't. There's was all these religious arguments about whether it's real AI or not. And so uh, we took some grief on that. And so we, um, we, we decided we'd use chemistry, biology, and physics. Uh, we down-selected the, uh, the teams down to two. That is, we, we, Sycor, uh, was let go and we ended up with an SRI system and, um, an enterprise system, which had two different logical foundations and question answering foundations underneath. The, uh, uh, the enterprise system used a, a mathematical formalism called F-Logic and, um, the, uh, uh, enterprise system used, uh, or pardon me, and the SRI system used, uh, 
uh, concept maps and, and the knowledge machine, um, which is a, a system out of uh, Boeing and, and the University of Texas. And uh, with the goal of having an evaluation further down select in September of uh, 2006. And so, um, so let me uh, uh, chart 15 has uh, has actually some of the some of the the data. Chart 15 is a pretty complicated uh, uh, chart, but we had a we had a, we had this evaluation, as I say, that was in September of 2006. And remember, the structure of this is quite different from the structure of the pilot. For one thing, we have natural language in there. That is, questions are posed in some dialect of English. Okay, and there's a whole bunch of stuff in here that I'm not going to get into about how we did the English. Basically, in, in, uh, on the SRI side, we used a, a controlled language, a uh, controlled subset of English based on um, Boeing Simplified English. And on the enterprise side, we used uh, essentially a question generation, a menu-based question generation tool. Um, we, uh, uh, we had uh, uh, the, the, the knowledge which was put into the systems on the enterprise side, the F-Logic system, and on the uh, SRI side, the, 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 the concept map system, um, was done by science graduate student KBs, and, uh, or science graduate students who, who built the, the knowledge bases over a period of time. Um, in this case, I think uh, they were given four weeks to do it. Uh, the, uh, uh, the cost of the building of the, of the system, in this case the cost of the KBs, uh, of, the, of the science, science scientists was about $100 per syllabus page. Um, and so if you look at, the, at what we had, we have, um, and I'm looking at the, at the, the top graphs in chart 15, uh, we have uh, three domains, biology, chemistry, and physics. Uh, see the number of questions that were posed in each domain. And the percentage correct by the way, the, the, the question posers were not the same as the knowledge-based authors. The question posers were also graduate students in science, uh, but they didn't have any knowledge of the structure of the knowledge base. And so this is the questions that they got correct. Um, and we also did a control group of knowledge engineers who, all, who could look at all the knowledge bases and who were computer scientists who could try and also uh, do it. And what you see there, of course, is that... Um, there is uh, 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 actually something tremendous happening, which is that we got essentially the same results as the pilot system, right? Now, this is the first time I've ever seen this happen, which is that we didn't have in, in, the, in, the, in the HALO project systems, we had no computer scientists on board. These were SMEs putting the knowledge in, SMEs asking the questions, right? very cheaply, and they got the same scores as when the computer scientists, the, the professional knowledge engineers did it and built the hand, knowledge bases by hand. That, I thought, was pretty tremendous. Uh, and as I said, I've never seen that before. We have uh, some publications on that. Uh, then you can see a, sort of a, a large number of, uh, of uh, other kinds of metrics at the bottom of that. So, so that, in, in many ways, shows that Okay, this is, this is now possible. It's actually possible, at least in this limited domain, for people who are not trained in computer science to um, build knowledge bases and answer questions. So, okay, so chart 16. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, leveraging the web and leveraging Project Halo. 
chart 17. Um, so, to, so we were very encouraged by these results. Um, and by the way, actually, if you know the DARPA that ran a program called RKF, and uh, and these uh, uh, this is uh, uh, actually in some ways a follow-on program to RKF. So, so because we're encouraged by this, we actually created uh, the, the the project. I don't know, quadfurcated, bifurcated, trifurcated, quadfurcated um, into four different subprojects. One subproject, and I'm going to talk about each of those subprojects. We'll finally get around to the semantic web. Uh, one of those subprojects was essentially um, uh, uh, scaling up the technology that was associated with the winner of that competition, that is the SRI team. So the numbers which I gave you back on chart 15 were the SRI numbers. The enterprise posted uh, uh, some numbers that were not quite as good, and so we, uh, uh, we down-selected them out of that, and we decided to go ahead with the SRI technology. So subproject one is scaling up Aura, which is the SRI technology. Subproject two is, all right, if, it, if we really can, using these tools, which we consider as a sunk cost, scale up the knowledge base, right, in this way uh, at $100 per page, can we make it $30 per page by just going offshore and using these tools in an offshore uh, uh, capacity where we're not paying science graduate students $30 an hour uh, in the United States uh, and in, in Western Europe, uh, but maybe we'll go to, uh, in, in this case, you'll see India where, uh, you know, Essentially, people are just as smart. They're just as fluent in English, and uh, uh, and you can get a lot more for your money there. And so, so we have this question: Can we offshore AI? And that's uh, that's actually a fascinating question. Um, another question has to do with rule knowledge. Our systems were, I think, uh, um, adequate to uh, uh, represent the rule knowledge in that part of the syllabus uh, for chemistry, biology, and physics. Um, we need to uh, – we could see some, some stumbling blocks immediately after. And so we have, to, we have a new project on rules. And finally, we want to be able to scale up participation. We have a new project on semantic wikis. Okay, so uh, chart 18, I'm going to go through all those four projects uh, uh, sequentially. Uh, chart 18 shows you the goals for uh, an evaluation which we plan to kick off this September. So – uh, first goal is you saw we were scoring around um, uh, 38, 39, 40 percent um, in our tests of the of the technology initially in chemistry, biology, and physics. We want to go up to a 75 percent score. So that would be a question answering system, which could, for the subset of the syllabus which we chose, be able to. Um, uh, 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 Get the, maybe a four on the AP. Probably not a five, but, but maybe a, a three or a four. I, I, it depends. There's, there's some, some room for, uh, for, for uncertainty here. But, but I think if, it, if you get to a four, you can say, um, well, we can, uh, we actually have a system which can, which is smart enough to get to college credit in this area. We also, another question had to do with reformulation attempts. So it turns out that if you're, um, uh, you know, if you're in many of these questions, particularly in physics and biology questions, um, the uh, natural language systems which we had, which we tested out in, in here, with a lot of actually independent feedback on those systems, which are not captured in the chart, um, but uh, uh, they were difficult to use for certain classes of questions. 
And so uh, what would happen is that the SMEs would have to reformulate the question several times before they were happy that the question which was uh, posed to the system was actually the question which they were asked, right, which was on the paper in front of them. So we had uh, we want to get the median number of question reformulation attempts. That's essentially the dialogue part of the system uh, to be five or less end to end. Um, and then there's a, a set of uh, performance numbers in there. Okay, so chart 19. So so that's what we're doing right now. Uh, pretty excited. I think we're going to hit these numbers. Um, I think if we hit these numbers, that's actually a revolution. I don't think anybody has ever built a system that is capable of doing that, that is driven completely by SMEs. Okay, that that is amazing. I mean, and we we actually think that's that's going to start an impact. Um, you know, if we can do that with chemistry, biology, and physics, why can't we do that with I don't know automobile repair, aircraft repair, uh, you know, the sorts of things that the military worries about, the sorts of things that the commercial world worries about. Um, on chart 19, uh, we want to so so we do we definitely want to scale up uh, the digital Aristotle. So we're doing these things in a restricted version of the syllabus. Uh, let's try and do this for the whole AP test. And so one way to do this, as I said, is offshoring. We did a little test at uh, uh, Ishkai, I guess it was uh, last year, with uh, uh, students at IIIT Hyderabad. Uh, we found, you know, in our test that there was just there were no significant differences. They were able to the, they were able to um, um, pose questions and and uh, author knowledge and sort of. You know, with roughly the same uh, same degree of fluency as uh, as as U.S. and European students, um, and so uh, so we're actually doing a pilot study uh, right now to uh, to find out whether um, um, uh, you know what essentially to answer these questions. Right? Does the lower cost of student labor offset higher management costs? And uh, essentially. Um, how we can uh, we're looking for bioinformatics firms because we want subject matter experts on this kind of stuff, and so um, uh, we've got and, and we've got several other options. But but the key here is something which has also never ever been tried in artificial intelligence before, which is you know can you build a knowledge base with hundreds of people, not thousands at this point, but at least hundreds of people contributing to it. That's a whole set of questions in there, and no one's ever tried it because of course no one's ever had the funding to do it. Um, that's something which uh, which we at Vulcan can. Uh, uh, it's an objection which we can we can get by. Okay, uh, chart twenty. I mentioned rule knowledge. Um, this was a, a uh, as I say, a sort of an identified area of problems in our current systems. We were able to. We had some hacks in there which we were able to uh, uh, to represent uh, uh, things in our syllabus, but but I think the hacks are going to run out of steam. And so uh, we hired actually one of the, um, uh, I think, one of the most qualified uh, people in rule technology and, and semantics in the United States, uh, uh, Dr. Benjamin Grossoff from uh, IBM Research and MIT, to come out to Seattle and work for us and to, uh, to run a new thrust for us in, um, in rule knowledge. And he's putting that together, and he's got some contracts out there, and, and he's building a system called Silk. Uh, so rules are really not just... Uh, 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 cover procedural knowledge, but you can, in, in AI terms, we can think about defaults and hypotheticals, the way we represent action and processes. And so you can see in there, I'm, I'm sort of speeding up a little bit because uh, I'm sensitive to the time here, but uh, you can see in there, in the, in the chart, on chart 20, many of the ideas which were, uh, 
which we're going to try and build. We have a, a set of metrics, which we're uh, going to be uh, uh, using to measure some of this stuff. And we're going to try and take the SILK knowledge representation, SILK being the, um, uh, the name of the rule system which we're building. We're going to try and take that and, um, uh, and build that actually into Aura uh, to try and boost our AP performance uh, by the ability to encode this kind of stuff. Um, I also mentioned in there um, uh, that we're also going to try and incorporate it into a, a product called Semantic Media Wiki as well, and, and we will have it as a standalone KR technology, which will be uh, uh, largely open source uh, and licensable, uh, commercially licensable. So I mentioned Semantic Media Wiki. So let's go to chart 21. And this is now getting back to uh, maybe some of the traditional focus of uh, the Ontolog Forum. So chart 21. Um, Halo Phase 2's knowledge acquisition design was really a very classic one. Um, we built computers which uh, had the knowledge, their knowledge bases on spinning disks, you know, buried inside of them, um, that didn't particularly use the net or the web. They, you know, their, their primary p connection on the back of the computer was the power cord and not the Ethernet jack. Um, and uh, many of our use cases were single author expert systems. Um, so, so we were able to show, uh, and as I think I've demonstrated, some pretty tremendous performance um, in uh, uh, in that kind of uh, domain. But our goal is the digital Aristotle, right? And if we're going to build large knowledge bases, the only thing which we have uh, which we have seen uh, that hits that level of scale has large numbers of authors. That is, and by large numbers, we're not talking about. Uh, uh, hundreds. We're talking about web scale authorship. <clears throat> There's also a, a tremendous number of uh, what I'll call social issues surrounding the real use of uh, knowledge representation reasoning systems. Uh, one is uh, just the way that the disciplines are traditionally defined, constructed, and the way that the flow of authority works in these disciplines. Um, you know, if there is a article. Uh, in computer science, my own field, right? There's an article written by, I don't know, Don Knuth. I pay a lot more attention to it than if there's an article written by uh, somebody whom I don't know, somebody who's not a, you know, grand old eminence of, of, of the field. Um, and so essentially it's not enough just to provide a knowledge-based knowledge system which can actually answer the questions, even if it can answer the questions 100% well. It has to have a disciplinary stamp of authority on it. That is, we have to have traceability of the knowledge and provenance of the knowledge back to recognized uh, uh, figures in the field. There's also a lot of uh, knowledge-based material, which is, uh, I'll call it non-formal. Um, if you look into a chemistry textbook or a physics textbook, you know, and you try and actually extract the knowledge from it, the first thing you find is that there's a lot of knowledge in there that's not purely physics or purely chemistry or purely biology. There's a lot of historical material, a lot of examples, a lot of ways in which the, the, the system is, is taught. And you have to have, if you're going to have a system that's actually useful to people, uh, you have to have that kind of information in it as well. And as well, it, of course, it's not... not uh, uh, I think news to people in this in this organization or in this forum, uh, but uh, there's a whole variety of KB modeling choices out there that are subtly non-equivalent, or even equivalent but different, and uh, uh, people have different motivations for choosing different ones. Uh, 
So for, for all those reasons, right, to get back to the digital Aristotle, we've uh, changed prog- Halo programmatically a bit. Um, and uh, uh, by the way, I, I see the, uh, uh, the comments in the, in the uh, chat log. I'll, I'll try and get to those towards the end. Um, so, uh, uh, so we made some programmatic changes in Halo. We have uh, uh, actually gone towards a semantic web. Uh, those of you who knew me from my DARPA days know that semantic web is, you know, this thing that's incredibly near and dear to my heart. Um, and at Vulcan, we've been doing a tremendous amount of stuff in that area as well. And so we've we've tried to use leverage RDF and OWL as much as we can, and we've been using these things called semantic wikis. And we've been a, a major funder of semantic wiki technology, uh, primarily in Europe, I will say, because uh, uh, for various reasons, uh, U.S. public sector funding for semantic web and collaborative um, um, uh, 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 semantic web technologies uh, has uh, not been there over the past, let's say, three years. And uh, whereas it's been there in the hundreds of millions of euro range um, in Europe, and so uh, so we've gone to Europe for that kind of expertise. So let me talk about semantic wikis. It's on chart 22. Um, wikis are are uh, <coughs> what are wikis? Right, they're they're tools for publication consensus. They are the most scalable tools ever created for this stuff. And if you look at the software underneath uh, uh, Wikipedia. Uh, it's a it's a piece of open source software that's licensed under the GPL license called MediaWiki. Uh, MediaWiki is extraordinarily high performance. The uh, uh, the uh, numbers which I can see from uh, the the Wikipedia media news and so forth, the servers that are run by the Wikimedia Foundation, um, are uh, uh, serving 10,000 pages per second worldwide. Uh, they are um, uh, globally distributed in multiple data centers, uh, and so they're able to be run on parallel architectures uh, in a way that uh, actually traditional semantic web technology uh, is not able to do so. Uh, it's a LAMP architecture, which is uh, Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP. It's all running on open source software. Um, uh, Wikipedia, this, this chart's a little dated, but the... the uh, 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 the ranking isn't. Wikipedia, last time I looked, was actually had fallen from number eight to number nine of the most popular web properties. Um, uh, that was in April. Uh, you know, the scale is immense. And if you think about uh, the way in which consensus is achieved in something like Wikipedia, it's achieved by two things, right? One is the global editing facility. Anybody can edit. And the other is the ability to roll backwards, and anybody can revise. <clears throat> so if you look at, in fact, the amount of text in Wikipedia, and you just count bytes, you find that there's actually twice as much text in the discussion boards and in the argumentation boards as there is in the final articles, which most of us look at. Uh, also, so, so, but somehow in that, that's the way that people achieve uh, what amounts to a fixed point. Uh, but that consensus isn't static. The world changes, so does, so does Wikipedia. And there are uh, uh, what they call gardeners in Wikipedia, which are uh, uh, for absolutely contentious cases, um, for example, the articles about Israel and Palestine, uh, they are uh, uh, they're gardeners which uh, step in and try and mediate uh, what are called the wiki wars. So semantic wikis are, the idea is to apply wikis to structured information, apply the wiki idea to structured information. One of the things that we have never, I think, in AI been able to do 
is create scale is is to create in a scalable way a mechanism for consensus around vocabularies. That is, we haven't been able to um, uh, figure out a way to globally, with multiple people, author ontologies. That is, classes, vocabularies, and the very simple kinds of relationships between them. Um, so the basic idea in semantic wikis is, can we, for really simple structured information, that is RDFS information, uh, use wiki tools to achieve consensus on RDFS structures? So you can see two hypotheses at the bottom of uh, chart 22. One is that we can collect significant, interesting, non-relational database system, that is, non-stuff where you've got whole sets of tables already set up, uh, non-RDMS semantic data cheaply, and that we can maintain consensus, that is, we can evolve, grow, and, uh, and, and maintain the vocabularies and, and classes which are necessary to this using wiki mechanisms. So chart 23, 24, and 25 are going to be tooting my own horn a little bit on this. So as I say, that was our idea in Vulcan. And we thought, and, and, and our, you know, sort of further, the you know, question is, can we um, um, attach that to Project Halo, which I will get into in a minute. But first thing we did was we actually went to the enterprise team, which came in second, uh, but which I thought was uh, full of some incredibly smart people. And they were located in Karlsruhe, Germany, uh, which was also the home of the University of Karlsruhe already being developed uh, based on MediaWiki. And we put them in a team together. We added DFKI and the University of Trento and some other uh, uh, extramural expertise. And we said, all right, let's take the early AIFB semantic MediaWiki, that is uh, SMW version 0.7, and let us, let's, let's try and make this professional, professional enough to be able to test that kind of hypothesis. So we built these things called the Halo extensions onto Semantic Media Wiki. We also funded a number of improvements in the basic code and uh, uh, some marketing and so forth. And so um, we created a whole bunch of things which, uh, uh, which we believe allow for easier editing and, more importantly, easier consensus on, on uh, Wiki classes. So what slide should we be on, Mark? I'm, I'm still on slide 23 right now. 23? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so um, uh, uh, there was, uh, so we added syntax highlighting editors, we added toolbars, auto-completion. Uh, we actually have a uh, sort of a complicated way to do NRA relations uh, and some nice user interface sugar on that. Um, on chart 24, uh, we have, we added an ontology browser uh, completely written in PHP. Uh, which allows, uh, uh, you know, anybody in the wiki to browse the class hierarchy, um, uh, look at the taxonomies, you know, quickly get to instance and property information, quickly edit things. The example you have there on slide 24 has to do with the chemistry domain. Uh, we have uh, um, uh, uh, quick access to pages. We use this as a navigation system. There's whole auto-completion systems in here. So, the, you know, you start typing... Uh, let's say in the chemistry domain, you start typing things like boiling point, B-O-I-L, and starts showing you all the properties that, are, uh, that, 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 uh, that have that, uh, that, that subphrase in it, uh, and so forth. And on chart 25, we've got a, a query system on the top. Um, it's uh, not quite Sparkle yet, but it, it's going to be in the next, uh, the next release after. I can't remember which one. 
Um, but it's uh, it's actually the AIFB original query language, which, uh, while it's not Sparkle, is actually pretty good and pretty a lot easier than Sparkle in some ways, um, uh, which combines text and semantic search. Uh, it has some basic reasoning uh, that is uh, running up and down the, the class tree and the property tree. Uh, there's a whole GUI-based system. It's all, it's all um, under open source, uh, under the GPL license, uh, which means that if you take it and look at it and use it, and you make some contributions, you're going to need to contribute those back into the common open source. Um, and there's a there's a, a download site for it. And actually, this chart is a little bit more antique, so let me, let me say a few words that aren't on the chart. This is chart 25 I'm on. Um, uh, onto this, so so the, 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 the code base which we have is actually uh, pretty tremendous. And it turns out that this, we, so we built this for Project Halo. It actually turns out that this is worth a lot more than just Project Halo, just as a, as a semantic media, as a semantic wiki itself for knowledge capture, uh, for, for general knowledge management in large organizations, um, and as a platform to build collaborative, uh, 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 essentially knowledge capture and, and, and reasoning systems on. Uh, we have uh, enterprise, um, now actually supports this, uh, supports it commercially. We have, uh, uh, we've had Fortune 50 companies come to us and say, this is cool stuff. How can we get it? We've installed it. We've got user, users. We've got a, uh, actually a, a brand new Semantic Media Wiki, uh, commercial and production users forum. Um, uh, it'll go be live at the end of this week. Uh, we have uh, an installation at the UN. Um, so if what you're interested in, and this is something which I'll just mention to everybody on this, on this, um, on this call, if what you're interested in is this, um, uh, this kind of capability, it is available in the open source. You can go and download it yourself. Everything I've spoken about is available out on SourceForge. Um, there's also... One of, the, one of our goals at Vulcan is to spread it widely, and we know that there's a number of uh, organizations out there uh, who need more support than open source provides. And so we have an outlet for that, too, via this company called Enterprise. So, so it's, it's really at, at the Semantic Technologies Conference, which is a conference that was down in San Jose this year. It was attended by 1,000 people. That's more than went to the World Wide Web Conference this year. Uh, there were four separate sessions on this technology, uh, so it's uh, it's really it's really moving out in the knowledge management world, uh, and I guess that's all I'll say about that. Okay, so chart 26. Um, so so one question is, well, does it work? Right? Does it actually work? And so we have some uh, um, uh, user tests on this. We we've been doing formal user testing the whole way through. Uh, which is another, I think, thing that differentiates our project from a lot of others. A lot of people just produce something and throw it out there. We've actually been testing it. Lo and behold, we found, of course, that um, uh, that uh, uh, not a lot of of um, uh, of our engineers' initial design decisions were really very good ones. And on the face of, in the face of user feedback, we changed a lot of things to make it a lot more usable. Um, but we had the tests in chemistry. Uh, we had uh, 20 graduate students paid for 20 hours to collaborate on chemistry using 700 Wikipedia articles as the base, and we wanted we, to give them um, 
guidance on what to annotate, we gave them the good old AP. And we gave them a bunch of exams. Uh, initial results were not so good. Um, we had uh, we ended up with a little less than 1,200 pages. Um, small number of assertions per entity, average five. You can see some of the other numbers in there. We had some pretty bizarre stuff in there. Um, you know, properties like, you know, uh, uh, binary properties like will yield a pH value of 0.6, you know, when dissolved in so many moles of water. Uh, yeah, single properties. That's pretty hard for a reasoner to use. Um, we went back to the drawing board and uh, we changed a whole bunch of things inside the wiki in order to uh, to do this. And you can see some of the other some of the metrics which we um, uh, uh, which changed the sus sus metrics, which are if, if you're a human factors person, you'll know all about. Um, we bounced up very significantly in SUS to final scores in the 70s. That's a general usability score. It's normalized across enormous amounts of uh, software from Microsoft Word on down. Uh, we used the IMI uh, to figure out the value and usefulness. We saw a 14% rise on that. And you see the chart up there. We, we built all these what we call bots, which were essentially data integrity checks in the wiki. And at the beginning, the bots found enormous numbers of mistakes. And you can see those mistakes just falling down as our users got comfortable with it. And what that shows, it's actually not that clear from the chart, but what that shows is the achievement of consensus over, in this case, a period of uh, uh, three months. Those, those dates are in European format, so it's date, month, year. Um, uh, uh, over, what is that, roughly three months? Um, and and uh, we've, we've actually duplicated that, that data. Uh, elsewhere. So, so what we see is some extreme evidence, right, that these wiki technologies are able to get to uh, consensus, actually allow large groups of, of people to uh, collaborate on knowledge authoring and to get high quality knowledge at the end. Okay, so on chart 27, um, you see sort of the, the architecture which we're, which we're uh, uh, trying to, uh, to achieve in Project Halo. Which uh, there's, you know, I apologize for the number of acronyms on this chart. I, was, I gave you a little key on the on the lower right hand side. Um, but basically, we're going to have semantic media wiki feeding into systems. Another one of our big areas is to try and put rules into a wiki. So not only have people collaborate on property and class knowledge, but also have them collaborate on rules. That's something again never been tried in AI. You know, rules always the huge thing that you all got to have some expert do for you because they're so global in their uh, in their effect. Uh, that uh, that users can't be trusted to make modifications to them, and so uh, so we're, we're going to try and turn that upside down. Uh, Benjamin's working on that, um, and uh, and we have and the neat thing which you see in there are SMEs all over the place, right? Posing questions, getting answers. So that's our digital Aristotle. Um, if you go to chart 28, you'll see uh, in 2008 we've got our core Halo thrust, which involves uh, completing Phase 2 Aura and Semantic Media Wiki, which will be linked into Aura as well, the, the, the graph that we have in there. Uh, we have uh, some outreach to uh, the European LARC program, the Large Knowledge Collider, which is, I think, absolutely the most exciting program in Europe right now, which has to do with enormous amount of scaling in the semantic web, uh, in particular scaling the reasoning stuff by blending in search, uh, search technologies and backing off from a lot of the completeness guarantees. Uh, there's a networked ontologies uh, program in, in the European program NEON is 
Uh, if LARC is the most exciting project, Neon is the second most exciting. Uh, it has to, actually, if you've, it has to do with uh, uh, some work there, and we have formal collaborations with Neon and LARC. Um, in the advanced research thrust that Benjamin's doing, we have uh, lots of R&D, uh, which we're running on rule engines, rule authoring, and our initial uh, SILF prototype. Uh, so chart 29, just organizational. Let's talk a little bit about the future, and I'm, I'll just uh, kind of rip through some of this stuff. Okay, uh, chart 30. So building outward, where are we going with this stuff? Um, we're going to try and build a more complete Halo. That is, uh, we are going to try and take some of the things which Halo does really well, that is, answer hard problems uh, with, uh, you know, deep reasoning on SME-authored knowledge bases, with um, some of the stuff which uh, uh, actually we, we other technologies do better, which is data, database-style query, you know, um, regular old search, right, and certain kinds of approximate answers. When, uh, when you don't really need an exact answer, when all you need to know is, you know, I need to have uh, one egg to make the pancakes, and I don't really have to have an exact answer about how much the egg has to weigh, um, how you can do approximate answers in, 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 that, uh, in that kind of framework. And there's some technology out there which I think we can just uh, link to in there. Simultaneously, we're going to be looking at the user community. Uh, as I said, uh, the Semantic Media Wiki, especially with our Halo extensions on the top, and I'll also give a gold tip of the hat to, a, to another extension out there which makes this tremendously easier to use called Semantic Forms. Um, those look like a really solid success, and uh, I'm really proud of what we've done here at Vulcan and what our team has done out in Germany, and, uh, um, and uh, we want to be looking to the open source community. We already have a number of developers who are not funded by us uh, making changes in, and suggestions in Semantic Media Wiki. Um, that's, uh, I think, a real good measure of success. Um, let me say, chart 31, uh, actually, in, in interest of time, I'll just mention that we, uh, we of course, are aware of DBpedia. If you're not aware of DBpedia, um, go look it up. It's, uh, you know, I used to think Psych was the largest knowledge base in the world um, uh, of sort of general knowledge. I, they, they got surpassed by DBpedia a long time ago. It's a, a Wikipedia mining project, essentially, and uh, they've got a really cool uh, query answering system on it. Um, on chart 32, DBpedia, as you can see, is one of the key pieces of something called the Linking Open Data Project, which is in the semantic web world, I think, the, actually the most exciting thing that's going on. I, I'll, say, I'll say what the, uh, you know, I think that in the United States, this is actually a subject of a whole other talk, but in the United States, I think the, um, the focus on, the, on semantic web, the focus has been on the semantic side of the house. That is, we've been really consumed with high-powered analytics, uh, database-style stuff, uh, you know, really work in the logics and the reasoning systems. In Europe, one of the things that they've been doing reasonably well, I think, uh, and actually really contributing to the revolution, is that they've been interested in the web side of semantic web. That is, how can we um, use semantic web not as a way of augmenting pages that are already there, and, you know, then you have this horrible question of what the ontology is going to be and so forth, but, but actually as a, as a web-style publication platform for structured data. And one of the uh, things that's been going on, of course, is the Linking Open Data Project out there, which is really just about RDF links and the somewhat loose version of owl as, which is used to, to link between these uh, giant data sets. But there's billions and billions of triples out there in the Linking Open Data world, and, uh, and it's, just, it's just tremendous. It's growing all the time. 
Uh, chart 33 is, is about the NEON program, uh, which I mentioned is ex- extremely exciting, um, and it's really about network ontologies. When we were when I was running the DAML program um, in the United States for DARPA, uh, we had the, we we gave a lot of lip service to network ontologies, but actually trying to use them, you know, we always went back to the same old thing that anybody ever does when they're trying to. Uh, um, uh, agree on data exchange formats, which is you get the programmers on the telephone or use what uh, SRI often refers to as the BOGSAT methodology, the bunch of guys or gals sitting around a table methodology. And so uh, these, uh, uh, but but actually using networked ontology is extremely hard. Uh, there's versioning issues, mapping issues, lifecycle issues, and so forth, and that's what the NEON project is. As I say, Vulcan has a, a formal uh, collaboration with Neon. So chart 34, my final thoughts. Um, Halo, I think at this point, is one of the largest classic AI R&D programs in the U.S., maybe the world. Um, it's a, uh, uh, a fully DARPA-scale program. Uh, you know, we have graduate students, research labs, universities, companies, and a very ambitious project. And uh, we, we publish uh, worldwide on this. And it's part of this embedded strategy at Vulcan. Uh, to invest in semantics. We believe very strongly that semantic technology is the next revolution. Um, and so we are investing in that revolution to try and bring it about and you know, maybe also make a little money on the side. Um, uh, we have many investments uh, in, in, in semantic technology at the venture stage. Uh, Radar Networks is probably the most well-known. They have a product called Twine, which is tremendous. You should go check it out if you, uh, if you haven't seen it already. It's a semantic web collaboration tool. Uh, all the way down to uh, uh, Every, which is one of our new startups, Kiha, which is actually still in stealth mode, and uh, uh, and several others. We've got several in the pipeline. And, uh, and of course, one of the ways we're trying to, to, to goose the revolution is by making Semantic Media Wiki widely and publicly available. Um, so I, I think we're, uh, we're doing what the boss wants us to do, uh, which is we're out there trying to, trying to make an impact, trying to change the world. Uh, Project Halo is uh, trying to do that. And I thank you for your attention. All right, Peter, it's yours. Thank you very much, Mark. Tremendous talk and obviously a very fascinating project. Thank you very much. Uh, I can see we've got a whole bunch of questions on the uh, chat board already. So I invite people to press one one on their phone keypad if they're not on the chat board or press the hand button uh, if you're on the chat board. So let's give people maybe a moment or two to do that. Uh, if you're on the uh, if you're on the DNC session you can uh, see I'm scrolling down the page uh, to where you can uh, get to the link to get onto the chat board, uh, which is there. And uh, one. Yeah, I'm up. reading over the questions that are on the chat board right now. I saw them coming up, but I was, you know, as y'all probably could tell, I'm sort of on a roll, and I'm, it's hard for me to read and talk right, at the same time. So. I, Yes, uh, that's the intention anyway. Uh, yeah. We just wanted to collect the questions so that we can deal with them uh, at this uh, Q&A session. 
So, uh, so let's again uh, ask people to press the uh, hand button. If you're on the shared screen, you can see I, I'm pointing my cursor to that hand button in case you can't find it. It's sort of near the lower right corner, right above the send button. Uh, also, on the phone, I've got two people with their hands up. Uh, so, uh, since the the questions on the chat board is more ready, let's start from there and then alternate. Uh, I have uh, Ravi Sharma. Uh, as the first person on the queue. Uh, so, Ravi, if you press a star three, uh, please ask your first question. Uh, I, I notice you do have a few questions, but for the uh, sake of others, let's sort of keep it at one question at a time. Star three. Okay. Uh, one question, Dr. Greaves, is about uh, our when when do you say that you have enough understanding to call it knowledge? That's essentially the first question. And uh, why should it not then thereafter be at least within the knowledge of that understanding be self-managed uh, without additional external inputs required? Well, how far yeah, I guess are I'm... we? Sorry. Well, I'm sorry, please go ahead. And when do we say, <clears throat> how far away are we from such tools that are able to understand, that have, understanding is a step below really the knowledge. Because understanding plus wisdom or understanding plus applying discrimination, power of the mind gives us the knowledge. I guess... Um so, so your, your question is a, is a very deep one indeed, um, yes. and I'm afraid I'm not going to, yes, yes, I yes. think, answer yes. it well. Uh, but I'll, I'll say this: uh, Halo, <coughs> in some ways, our goal is is not about trying to build systems which have, I think, what you're referring to as wisdom, or. Uh, uh, or are really self-managing in that sense. Our goal is to build cognitive enhancers. That is, systems where, just as in the, the uh, 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 let's call it Wikipedia, or in, in any kind of uh, scientific discourse, you know, people exchange artifacts which contain this knowledge, or at least contain pointers to the knowledge, which can then be used by the, by the interpreting brains to, to get to the knowledge. Um, as a way of, uh, I'm sorry, say again. Sorry, it's a wonderful direction you are in. Yeah. So, so we're sorry. we're really interested in building in building systems which can do this, which can essentially use a bunch of bits and executing a whole bunch of algorithms really fast, right? To enhance what people are good at, which is discovery, um, analogy, uh, uh, you know, seeing connections which are uh, which are there by faith and not by reason. And I, I think that, uh, so, so in that sense, I'm, I, I, I don't think we're trying to build, you know, our, our aim is lower, right? We think we can build a, re we think we can create a revolution just by getting systems where sneeze can 
input uh, assertions, right, vocabularies and structure, and which we can use our algorithms to get at the consequences of those vocabularies and structure in a way that is understandable by humans. If we can do that, then we can do, I think, two things. Number one, we can build a system that can pass the United States AP exams. I think we can do that. I think that's actually within our reach. Um, that is tremendous, right? I mean, you know, that, that I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, AI has this history of challenge problems that later got dismissed, you know, checkers, chess, bridge, poker, right, all this kind of stuff. Um, this is something I think that is in a little bit of a different league because this is this is something where we are taking a computer and making it do things which many humans cannot do and which those humans that can do are acknowledged as uh, sort of having a foundation a foundational understanding of the um, uh, of the discipline in question. So I, my you know I could go on for a while on yes. that, but I, I think that's, no no that's this about is the correct to. direction and I will. If there are not many questions later, I'll follow this up uh, with another uh, question relating to this. But I will okay. stop now as Peter has other people asking questions. Thank you, Mark. And I will uh, also you. email you the questions I have. Oh, very good. Very good. Thank you, Ravi. Uh, we have a hand up from someone with a 908 area code. Uh, so you're next. Uh, if you do a start three, yeah, hi. Please, this is Pat Cassidy. Yeah, I, I had two questions, uh, Mark. I, uh, Who is that again? Oh, hey, Pat. Looks, looks really great, exciting stuff there. Um, about, I, I'm, I'm curious where natural language um, and interpretation comes in here. I, it didn't seem to get much emphasis. Uh, well, it, it has some programmatic emphasis. I didn't put it. I didn't talk to it too much in this, since we're just. I was trying to splash uh, splash the program with a broad brush here. Right. Right. Um, but uh, uh, the the natural language part of, of of Halo is really in the beginning of it. <clears throat> that is, it's in the question and asking and answering sections of it. It's not particularly in the knowledge formulation part. Right. That is, we don't read textbooks and try and derive knowledge from them. Though right. so I think that actually that would be uh, a useful thing to do. What, what, what kind of question that. answering? And uh, are you restricting the topics? Are you going general? Or? Well, it's, so we need to have a NLP system which is capable in English of expressing the questions which are uh, typically asked in the AP exam. And ah, we need okay. to have okay. a question answering, uh, a natural language generation system which is able to provide appropriate justifications in English for um, uh, for the reasoning that it does. Of those two problems, the question posing problem is the harder one. Um, and as I say, the just without going too far into it, um, there is a, a a discipline of uh, uh, of NLP called uh, controlled languages. No. Not particularly well known, but it's actually used a lot, uh, and uh, sort of goes back to uh, Caterpillar Heavy Equipment Company, who was who know who found that their maintenance manuals. They sell equipment worldwide, construction equipment. They found that their maintenance manuals were, uh, uh, you know, they were essentially required a native speaker of English to be able to to fully interpret. It's actually and so they created Caterpillar to, Technical English. Yeah, it's related to what I'm I'm doing right now is putting together an ontology that will represent the Longman's defining vocabulary. 
Oh yeah, I know the long you know, arms. Okay, you right. use, the, use yeah. that as the bootstrap from which you can define anything else. Uh, we don't we don't use the long ones. We actually use the um, uh, sort of as as the bootstrap. Right now we're mapping uh, the language all maps. Um, at least part, at least most of the language all maps into this concept map uh, and KM uh, conceptual vocabulary, which we use at the base of the SRI system. Now, there's okay. a, this is, we have a little bit of a problem in the in the NLP, or at least there's an interesting issue in the NLP because we have to build the NLP without knowing what the knowledge base looks like. That is, we don't know what the nouns are, right? And we actually don't know what many of the verbs are either. And so. Um, uh, and so we have actually a mapping step which goes in there, which is quite clever, which happens real time at question time to try and figure out how is it that the language which is used in the question maps to the concepts which are in the KB. So, so, so the SRI Boeing Austin triumvirate is, is doing that part. That's correct. Okay. Uh, the other thing I had uh, about your semantic media wiki, I, I see you, uh, you're talking about um, like looks, it looks something to the effect of collaboratively creating an ontology. Uh, is that one of the applications? Or? Well, people use ontology with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of different glosses on it. Okay. Um, you I think like it's probably like the right way to it. think of it is, is collaboratively creating uh, an RDFS data structure which has maybe a few things other than RDFS in it, but doesn't, is not at all owl-full or anything like that because we don't actually create, we don't have the, the restrictions in, in it, that the, a lot of the restrictions that uh, the more advanced dialects of owl provide. Right. There was one, one last thing. Um, you mentioned at one point that you were, wanted to include um, higher arity relations, but that was just like mm -hmm. one line on one slide. And I'm wondering yep. if that's being pursued anywhere and in there. Yeah, it's in it's in Semantic Media Wiki. Uh, our user tests have not been 100% positive on that uh, because essentially we still we're still mapping into uh, you know into the binary uh, uh, world of of RDFS, and so uh, so you know you have to create blank nodes and whatnot. There's a way to do it. It's not clear that. We have created okay. a way to do it that is usable by anybody other than a logician. And, and, and you said there's a reasoner attached to this. You, you mentioned Sparkle. Is that the only reasoner? Uh, currently, that's true. What we've got okay. is the, so, so there's no what, in the release code there. right now. Let me let me explain this a little bit for the benefit of everybody. In the release code right now, uh, this is running on top of MediaWiki, which means that all the semantic information, in order to comply with the uh, a lot of the licenses and to, to achieve maximum uh, scalability and distribution. A lot of the um, uh, semantic data is stored, all the semantic data is stored in MySQL. And so in order to do, uh, to leverage all the semantic web reasoners out there, we need to um, uh, have a more sophisticated uh, uh, storage system. Essentially, we need a triple store. So we have in our laboratory, and we will be bringing out um, a... Uh, interface to a couple of triple stores, and on top of that, we have successfully integrated Kon2 and Onto Broker, which are two semantic web reasoners. This is in the lab. It's not out yet. Um, it'll be coming. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Peter? Yes. Thank you, uh, Pat, and thank you, Mark, of course. Uh, all right. I Actually, I... Uh, I'm Peter, and I'm the next in line to ask 
ask Mark a question. I mean, I actually have a ton of questions, but but I I guess I I would just ask one, which I think is an important one. And thank you, Mark, for identifying sort of the key thrust of sort of the U.S. effort versus the EU effort in the semantic web. Uh, do you see sort of both sides going toward the middle, or are they digressing? And also, given your sort of spanning both continents now, how do you see sort of an optimal strategy to create the, the biggest impact? I mean, given sort of <laughs> the Yeah, thank you for the question. I, uh, I wish that I didn't have to span continents because Seattle, of course, is on the west coast of the U.S. and many of the yeah, you know, just until Lufthansa actually put in, we recently got a nonstop to Frankfurt from Seattle. I was spending just enormous amounts of time on planes. Um, but uh, uh, so, so there's actually something much deeper here. And uh, I have this is a talk that I've been giving to uh, Defense Department audiences now for the past six months about the differences between uh, the U.S. and the EU in sort of approach to semantic web technology um, and how I think it's it's actually something where uh, the United States uh, research community had quite a bit of leadership uh, in this area and has now ceded that leadership um, uh, to, uh, to the European Union primarily because of the lack of semantic web funding in the U.S. Um, so right now the I, I think I'll, I'll say that the, the U.S. Uh, work in semantic web is primarily funded um, out of uh, the NIH, the National Institutes for Health, and the National Centers for Biomedical Ontologies. Um, and I think our, the leadership that we have, to the extent we have any anymore, is based on uh, uh, some of the companies which have started up, uh, given our, our the particular funding framework which we have uh, evolved in the U.S. surrounding venture capital and um, uh, 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 sort of ways in which risk funding can be created. Um, I think that, uh, but but I think that, that, as I say, the most interesting things that are happening in, in Europe right now have to do with taking the ideas behind the web, right, that is the ideas of web scale, web collaboration, uh, of, uh, of different kinds of uh, approaches to uh, just just raw logical properties like completeness, and um, and, uh, um, and and trying to weave those into the fabric of a of a of a knowledge representation system like Semantic Web, and there are uh, I think I, there's actually too many uh, European projects to count in this area. The European Union has a, a different kind of frame uh, public sector funding model than the U.S. There are of course, in all the different European Union countries, there are national science foundations uh, which uh, uh, fund in their area. For instance, Austria has a, a particularly uh, active one in, in, uh, in somatic web technology. Germany has a good one. And, uh, of course, I've got to mention Science Foundation Ireland, which has provided a third of the funding, hundreds, uh, pardon me, tens of millions of euros um, into uh, the dairy the uh, uh, Digital Enterprise Research Institute, which has got over 100 people now and is the world's largest and most sophisticated semantic web research organization. Uh, and uh, they, are, they are just tremendous. Uh, they, they're, they, they spew out results like any, like just, it's just incredible. Um, and, uh, 
Uh, and so the, the, the amount of funding which the EU has put into this and in their Framework 7 programs, I think in semantic technology, you sort of look and you do some addition and, you know, a little bit of gazing and you say it's probably about, over the next four years, it's going to be about 170 million euro. Um, you know, what is that, about $250 million, getting more dollars all the time uh, as our dollar gets weaker. Um, it's a lot of money. And uh, and and there's a there's a lot of tremendous work going on over there in the web area. Um, I guess the other thing which I'll say you, you asked about uh, collaboration. Uh, right now, I am doing my hardest to uh, uh, try and uh, work with uh, the public sector funding agencies in the United States that I uh, that I know about that I still work with and still maintain ties to. And uh, I think there there may be a little bit of news on that front uh, later in the year, but uh, but nothing approaching the scale of the EU uh, uh, commitment to this technology. Um, the other thing which we're doing, frankly, is uh, Vulcan is you know looking for uh, opportunities, and uh, where we see those opportunities, we see semantic technology as a worldwide um, technology. It's not constrained by national boundaries. Um, and there are two uh, major economies right now that, that uh, are poised to benefit from that, and that's the United States, the European economy. And so we try and make it so that uh, any uh, um, commercial activity that we're involved in um, can be uh, 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 leveraged in both, both areas. I guess that's all I'll say about that. I'm not sure I answered your question, Peter, but yep. Thank you, Mark. I mean, great answer and an amen to sort of your uh, repeating that to defense and other funding agencies in the United States. Uh, just one remark before I, I sort of uh, pass on to the next uh, person is that I mean the the semantic uh, media wiki extensions that you are funding is ex of ex extreme interest uh, to us, uh, just for those who don't realize, uh, CIM3 and uh, Ken Baklowski's group from Northeastern University has been collaborating in developing uh, what we call a Purple Media Wiki extension, uh, which could work in conjunction with the Semantic Media Wiki, and there is plans to move the Ontolog Wiki over to this Purple Semantic Media Wiki in probably uh, short, uh, in, in fairly short order. In fact, the PM uh, Purple Media Wiki extension is going into beta in uh, within weeks. So, uh, oh, uh, we definitely look forward to implementing some of the Halo extensions, uh, and, and that would be most exciting. Yeah. Well, we, as I say, we uh, we really uh, one of the, we supported the sort of general Semantic Media Wiki uh, work from Crossroad and AIFB. You notice they were stuck in version 0.7 for like two years while Marcus and Denny, who are the two uh, major people there, uh, you know, got consumed with their own PhD work. Uh, and so we, we, we sort of, we, we made sure that a lot of that, uh, I think we can take some credit of, uh, on trying to robustify that and get the core a lot better. Um, and uh, we have the Halo extensions, which are primarily aimed at the aura kind of problem, where you don't know the ontology in advance. Right, and so you've got to have people who are collaboratively building the ontology or the classification, the taxonomy, 
at the same time that they are, you know, building the instance level information. Then there's another, you know, big use case, which is actually probably a more common corporate use case, where you, where essentially the the the, the ontology is largely not in question. You know, we know, or there's a commonly understood ontology for, I don't know, movies and, you know, albums and lots of things, you know, that is, the folks kind of stuff, projects and so forth. And there, uh, the issue is really more uh, adding um, um, uh, instance information into, a, into an already existing uh, uh, ontology or classification. And there, the Halo extensions are not as strong, mainly because they're too complex, because they have a lot of stuff having to do with authoring ontology in them, which is not relevant in that second use case. There, uh, there's a use case, which uh, there's a really nice product called Semantic Forms out there, also an extension of Semantic Media Wiki. So I'll be curious to see which one you choose uh, in this purple system, uh, and I look forward to it. Yes, I'll definitely uh, keep you in the loop uh, as we announce the beta and as we migrate into maybe uh, trying out some of your extensions. Thank you. Yeah, very good. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to the next person. I have uh, Mike Bennett from the UK, uh, and his, his hand is up, and he has a question. So, Mike, if you would do a star three to unmute your phone, uh, then uh, when you're certain that we can hear you, uh, you go ahead. Mike Bennett? He still can't hear you yet. Star three to unmute your phone, but make sure your own physical phone is How's that? unmuted. Yes. I, How's that? All right. Go ahead. Good. Uh, go, Sorry, you introduce yourself you. first. Yes, I'm Mike Bennett, um, company's Hypercube. Um, I'm working on an ontology in the financial services sector um, for uh, financial instrument definitions and things. So my question, I've had a look at Halo. Um, I should add, um, I guess I'm on a third use case from the, the, the two that were mentioned just now um, because I'm developing most of the ontology from already known concepts and then I want to use subject matter experts to complete the rest of the ontology. So not instance data but more detail about the kinds of financial instruments that it can exist and the kinds of properties they can have. So I've had a look at the Halo extension um, it does require the user to understand our concepts, and even then it's quite difficult to use, but that's a different matter. Um, so you have to understand that a, a triple has a domain and a range. Um, you have to know what those are and so on. Um, now, what I've committed to deliver um, for the first instance of this ontology is simple tables where I've aliased the terms like data type property in our I've called a simple fact, and object property I've called a relationship fact, and thing is a thing, which is the out term for it anyway, so that mm-hmm. what I'm saying to business subject matter experts is there's a thing and there's a fact about a thing. Have I missed any of the facts about this thing? Can you add facts about it? And so on. Uh, now, initially I'm delivering that in simple tables and simple block diagrams. Uh, we'd like to be able to then... Um, put it out onto some kind of wiki platform in order that uh, subject matter experts can edit and add things. Um, is that going to be possible without each, um, you know, funds processor and um, trader and so on having to understand OWL before they can do it? Uh, well, I guess I'll first say that certainly in our 
um, uh, in our tests, in our user tests, with as I say, mainly students, college students. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that they had to understand OWL to be productive. They've certainly been able to be productive without uh, understanding the, uh, you know, I don't know, the, the details of of, uh, of any of the major dialects of OWL. Um, and, and they've been, and, you know, the data says, this is the SUS data and the IMI data, says that they've been pretty mm-hmm. happy with it. Now, there's this question about whether you say, you know, if, if, uh, if it would be better to provide aliases um, mm. for, you know, say, for uh, domain as uh, or range would be what, relationship fact or something like that? Uh, range, I guess it would be like objects or targets or something. Targets. Um, so an object yeah. property is a relationship fact. And in my spreadsheet, I've got facts and then which is thing, you know, but I could yeah. just as easily call it object, because at least people understand subject, verb, object. It's a piece of English that one can explain, and it can be explained in German or French as well, <laughs> with, a, with appropriate English, uh, appropriate Correct. natural language Correct. word. Yeah, just a grammatical uh, concept, hmm. right. Um, okay. Yeah, so uh, uh, as far as I know, it wouldn't be. Have we done it? No, or the current, the Halo domain, the, the Halo extensions use terms like range. That's true. Yeah. Um, and it shouts at you. It might be a good idea to change it. We That actually, in our our users haven't asked for that. Um, but it actually might be a great idea. And and mm. at any rate, it's just a, a linguistic gloss. And so it would be trivial yeah. to change that in the, you know, in the code of the extension itself, mm. which is all PHP. Oh. Yeah, I wondered that. And so it's just a string search. Uh, but, uh, but no, we, we haven't done that, as I say, primarily because the users which we have not requested it but uh, or have not fingered that as a, as a barrier to their use of it. But, uh, but maybe that's a good idea. You know, it's possible to be uh, too much of a logician here. Uh, and sort of, you know, that, that was my background as well. The, the other thing which I will say, though, and you mentioned the business stuff, um, we have, uh, of course, been looking at... Uh, at building uh, specialized uh, ontology for uh, um, uh, in particular accounting concepts. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, we have uh, some work in that area, which uh, we probably should go offline about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that would be interesting, because my top-level ontology, I want to make use of other work that's out there, but I've created an upper ontology to begin with just to start subclassing for the kinds of things that exist in financial securities. So, for example, an equity or a bond are basically instances of a kind of thing which is a contract. A contract has certain relationships and facts about it um, that are necessarily true, like archetypes, effectively. Um, so, yeah, and what I want to be able to do is, is um, throw the net as wide as possible for business knowledge and not restrict it based on those who can understand and be seen to understand the ontology concepts that, that they're working with. Because, to be honest, you know, with previous standardization efforts in the financial sector where people have worked with, um, you know, object orientation, class models and so on, you just don't know whether the business person looking at something is seeing what you think they're seeing if you, if you know they need to understand something of the language. Well, that's, that's, that's certainly true. Uh, we have, uh, I mean, there's, there's some things which you can start on, like the XBRL language, which the SEC mm-hmm. has, mm-hmm. and there's... Yep. Uh, for upper-level concepts, uh, there's things like uh, the, the uh, uh, process handbook from uh, MIT Sloan, mm. which has a lot of your sort of standard business, you know, contract kind of, uh, 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 you know, 
haven't looked at that particular one. Yeah, I've used uh, XBRL as a checklist for, for relevant terms, but the actual ontology within XBRL is very powerful but very inscrutable. So <laughs> I've found viewers for instance documents, but I haven't found a viewer for the actual ontology itself, which is uh, what I could do with. But anyway, that's that's a, a whole other matter, as you say. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, but uh, but uh, uh, I, you know, I I I think that the the concrete suggestion for the, for the Halo extensions is, is a good one, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, I, I got to say, this is an open source project, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it's not one where you know you got to call up Enterprise and put in some kind of you know heavyweight change request, and you know they, these people control the code and nobody else. And this is mm-hmm. not it. You know, it's, you, you want to change it, you change it. You submit the the stuff through SourceForge. You make your branch, mm-hmm. right? It's not a. It's this is not an issue of, uh, you know, real hardcore centralized control here. And if your branch is the popular one, then mm-hmm. then that's the uh, the key to success here. I mean, oh, people vote with their feet. So, so even if just not rather a, than just replacing it, just create a layer on top or something with the alias. Well, and if you you know if you sort of use the the conventions of SourceForge, that's uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of how it works. And, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, what I've charged Enterprise to do in this program is to be a, you know, is to try and compile uh, extensions, to try and, you know, create at least one branch that is commercially supported for those organizations that uh, mm-hmm. feel more comfortable with uh, with a commercially supported product and a, you know, shrink wrap product and a 800 uh, toll-free number you can call for support. Mm-hmm. But... Um, uh, but but fundamentally, this is this is open. There's nothing, uh, 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 you know, in it right now that is um, uh, proprietary or or under that kind of hardcore control. Thanks. Um, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, Peter. I actually I I um I gotta raise a, a flag here. I I I I have I have to run. Um, maybe one more question. Right. I mean, actually, uh, we, uh, I was about to tell everyone that we are running out of time anyway. So that, uh, since we don't have new people showing up their hands, I, I know Ravi still has his hand up, and there are several questions already typed up on the chat board. Uh, but then Steve Einan, uh, Brent Freckley, and Jakub uh, Kotowski uh, did not show their hands. So, I mean, you have a choice to just uh, give us a, a closing statement or maybe choose the one or two of the questions that's already typed up uh, and field them. Well, let's see. Uh, let me let me run through the, the questions that are on the chat list really quickly, at least some of the ones that I can easily answer. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. So Ravi asks about... Uh, um, uh, equations and whatnot. I, I think I answered that with uh, how do you interact with the questions is that they're represented in this control language. Um, diagram understanding, Steve asks about, uh, we had a little um, work in diagram understanding actually, which we were funding from the University of Georgia. Um, I, I think that probably the right way to say it is that uh, uh, many diagrams can be described, or at least the essential parts of the diagram can be described linguistically. Um, with it's a little stilted, but you say you know there is a block and it's sitting on a table, and, and uh, you know the block is called A, and there's a rope attached to the block. And, yeah, there's, there's things like that where you can describe the situation 
in a way that is maybe not equivalent to the diagram, but ca but captures uh, the main facts, or at least the facts that are that are relevant to the question. And so we had a diagram understanding si system in there, and it turned out that number one, we couldn't find a. It required first a lot of training to use, and secondly, it didn't seem to uh, answer a lot more questions. Or the system which we had with the diagram uh, system didn't. Uh, uh, didn't successfully answer a lot of questions that couldn't be successfully answered with a system without it. And so uh, so currently we are not working on diagram understanding, though I'd love if somebody actually had a system that was really easy to use for capturing naive physics diagrams in particular. Um, um, I'd, give it a, I'd love to give it a look. Um, I actually think uh, as a... Um, we're kind of winding down. Let me uh, let me ask the rest of the questions to be offline. My my uh, email address is markg at vulcan.com. I'm a pretty busy guy, but I try and respond within a few days anyway. Um, and just in closing, um, it's uh, it's actually it's, it's uh, I think it's a tremendous program, and it's fun for me, sort of as a as a re professional research manager, to be uh, involved in something where we take what I think is the most exciting thing happening on the web today, and that's the semantic web, and try and fuse it back against uh, some of the things that uh, uh, AI research has been working on for a while, which is knowledge representation and question answering for things that are way too sophisticated for the semantic web. You know, semantic web is really very weak representation language. It doesn't represent, you, you can't solve, uh, um, uh, you know, chemical structure diagrams using the facilities of the semantic web. It's just way too weak. And so one of our projects here, the HALO project here, is uh, something about bridging, you know, these worlds and trying to get the best out of both of them. And so, uh, it's, actually, it's, I'm, I'm, it's really fun. I'm having a ball, and, uh, you know, um, I do appreciate your attention and your time. If I've said anything that is, uh, you know, needs more explanation, uh, please get in touch. And, again, thank you so much. So on that parting word of wisdom, uh, on behalf of the community, let's thank uh, Dr. Mark Greaves again for a an extremely interesting talk. Thank you, Mark. Bye. Okay. Bye, everyone. I'm heading off. Bye-bye.